Hello, and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Ego to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's Banking and Financial Services Practice Group. We have a very special guest today who is not only an expert in her field, but a hero of mine. Leslie Bender is the Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel for BCA Financial Services, one of the leading agencies in the healthcare medical space. At BCA, Leslie sets the vision for consumer financial and privacy compliance for the company while overseeing and developing its compliance management system, especially in the areas of data security and HIPAA. Leslie is, the pa- is a past president of ACA International, the largest trade association for credit and collection professionals. Leslie, so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. I'm grateful to be invited. Uh, time has a funny way of passing during the coronavirus, so I appreciate uh, <laughs> chance to. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always good to connect, right? <laughs> exactly. By the way, you're one of my heroes as well. Oh, you're very sweet. You're very sweet. Um, so I wanted you on the podcast for numerous reasons, but the most important reason is your expertise on issues involving data security and data privacy, which are taking on such a more significant meaning since the start of the pandemic. And you have really been, been such an educator for me to understand that space. But I'm interested in your view and how the pandemic has changed how consumers look at privacy. Well, I think that's a great question, and there are so many ways as though we had a prism that you could look at that question. First of all, I think that consumers are often have shown themselves to be very eager to trade some privacy for convenience. For example, if you had told people 15, 20 years ago that they would be doing their banking on an app on smartphones or on their computers, People would have poo-pooed you because people love doing bank reconciliations with paper checks and things of that nature. But some of the electronic or online methods for doing those things are so much more secure that even though theoretically you could be giving up some of your privacy or security in order for those applications to plant cookies, to verify and things like that, and to trace you to make sure that it's really you um, conducting those transactions... I think we all readily gave up some of those uh, privacy or data security concerns because we've now come to realize that having access to those things 24-7 electronically makes so much more sense. So there's a perfect example. Uh, In this day and age, if you wear any sports wearable, a Fitbit, an Apple Watch or whatever, you're getting these funny messages to take part in some sort of field studies where... Um, They may be doing tracing activities to see if and how people are moving around during the infectious disease pandemic. So a lot of people are fearful about the results of that, and they're willing to give up some of their privacy in exchange for knowing if they are going to be heading into the eye of a storm with respect to the pandemic um, to try to avoid epicenters or places where there are known cases. So We've seen that consumers are willing to give up some privacy in exchange for the convenience of financial services, their own health, um, things of that nature. And 
I think everybody understands that neither privacy nor data security are absolute, um, that they always are going to have to be tempered by some greater public good and things of that nature. So I, I think the pandemic has made us even more sensitive and willing to give up some of our privacy for safety. Uh, the question is, how would we get it back when the pandemic passes? That's right. There was such a tension prior to the pandemic of privacy advocates and I'll say financial institutions because they are big, like healthcare has a lot of data. Um, and there was so much tension uh, between those two entities. Um, you don't hear as much about it anymore again because we have to focus on safety and convenience. But you're right, it's going to be interesting to see um, how those battles are going to be fought post-pandemic. Um, exactly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that state versus national a little bit later in the podcast. So, you know, Leslie, when we go onto a website uh, or you sign up, you, you find a new retailer that you like, you see a shirt that you want to buy, <laughs> you go onto a new website and, you know, they have their quote terms and conditions. They ask you to accept a lot of things. I don't read them. Uh, honestly, I don't know. You know, I, I know that you do, uh, which is why I have you on the podcast. <laughs> I need to understand what it says. But you, you, I think you can admit that 99% of the people don't. Um, and that was all supposed to change with GLBA and, and giving privacy notifications. Um, but do consumers really know what they're giving up and how do we get them to understand? I do not think that consumers really know what they are giving up. And that's why what happened in California, and I know we're going to get to this a little bit later, yeah. is so remarkable. You know, Alistair McTaggart's efforts with the California Consumer Protection Act and perhaps even its uh, cousin that has um, been proposed in some of the regulations was really the first time that somebody just dug in and said, we want to know how you're using our information and we want to have a right to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And it just is so way out there as a landmark thing that what I think a lot of consumers haven't realized over time that internet browsers and websites are scraping data and there is a robust market for that data. Uh, I even understand that there are some ways that consumers can now opt in to certain proprietary sites that allow them to literally profit by allowing these sites to sell their data elements for target marketing um, to marketing companies. It's um, kind of like the new blood bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they've they are monetized. They're saying, wait a minute, if you're scraping my data anyways, I want to monetize that. Right. And there are people that are taking advantage of that. And I think that at the same time, one of the really exciting technological developments is machine learning and artificial intelligence. And to think that there are bots, or I'm not even sure what they should really be called, but that's probably outdated, that sniff through all sorts of transactions and IP addresses and electronic footprints, and they can make sense of things. I think that's why the... Um, Analytica Republica, that was just so shocking to us that they use this technology to make predictions about our behavior that could influence elections. Right. Um, 
So I, I think getting back to the old days, a decade or more ago, the Federal Trade Commission did this um, experimental workshop called Get Noticed. Mm -hmm. And they developed some data that's really pretty relevant even today showing how few people actually read, less than 10% of people even open their privacy terms and conditions, right. even though they get them every year, um, and fewer than 10% read them. And how could you understand them without a PhD or advanced learning in some of the terminology that is in them? Um, so I don't think that people understand them. And in conversations that we've had with consumer advocacy groups, I think they make the point that how informed would consent even be if you did read them? Because right. you don't know what an algorithm is. I mean, I, all, I don't know how algorithms work exactly or who sets them up or how they get programmed. Um, so I don't know that. And I think that what we have started to see when companies are revealing what they do with data they scrape and when and how they scrape it, um, we're seeing that there's been a lot more target marketing going on for a lot longer than any of us thought. And there are a lot of people that are really uh, profiting and we're giving companies permission to get into our contact lists, you know, things that we may not even actually have authority to give them permission to do um, because we, we haven't read the fine print. And even if we did, I don't know how knowing our consent would really be. So where does that leave us? Um, and I guess the question is how many more states like California are going to say there is no national standard, right? We better start acting to protect people. And, you know, the U.S. isn't part of the GDPR, so we don't have the benefit of, of that. Right, right. You know, it's for, for us lay people. I just get freaked out, you know, if I if I'm on a site and I'm looking for couches and then I go onto another site and there are the couches that I was looking for, you know, there's all these weird things you think about something and then you go on Instagram and there's an ad for what you were thinking about, you know, exactly. I wanted to buy luggage and now I'm on Instagram and I see this ad for luggage and it's it's freaky, you know, it's the big brother um, it is. phenomenon. And for those of us who don't understand how it works or understand how it should or should not be protected, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's very, very freaky. And I, it, it raises the final point I, I want to talk about. And I think it's really the most important point. And it's, 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 it's a theme that we're seeing today in, in either other, in other industries as well. And in, in our society, it's this idea of, you know, states versus federal. Right. And, and national strategies. I don't want to get too political about everything that's going on with COVID, but from a data standpoint, um, we don't have a national strategy. And to your point, you know, California said enough is enough. We're, we're, we're going to set our strategy. And that's fine. It's a big state. But we see New York is, is looking into it and yep. Minnesota's looking into it. Yep. And we don't live in a, you know, regional world anymore. Every, right. you know, you could, you could go on the internet and talk to someone from Australia. It doesn't matter. There is, there's exactly. no borders anymore. Right. So it was interesting, you know, right after you and I had a conversation about coming on the podcast, I got a notice, as I'm sure you did too, that the CFPB, um, which is interesting, and we'll get into that in a minute, wants to be part of this national data strategy and announced that they would issue an ANPR to develop standards on how 
market participants. And when I say that, I say banks, fintechs, people who they have jurisdiction over right. are accessing financial data. And I thought it was number one, ironic. Maybe they were listening into our conversation. <laughs> Maybe we should do this. But it was ironic for a couple reasons. Number one, the CFPB is not the big data regulator. Right. You know, it's always been the FTC. Right. Uh, but then yet again, you know, they are the financial services regulator. So I, I can certainly see the crossover. But it's interesting because they really have not gotten into this this conversation of a national strategy. And I know that there has been legislation that has been proposed at a national level. Where it's gone, I have no idea. But I'm so interested in your thoughts on th about that because I think it really poses a lot of questions and really, and again, depending on if there's a change of administration, where this is all going to go. Right. Well, I think one thing that's kind of interesting and maybe a little ironic is our good friend and uh, regulator that I know you and I both have the utmost respect for, Tom Paul, was at the Federal Trade Commission at the time when the Federal Trade Commission decided that privacy violations and companies that make these lofty privacy promises to the public, to consumers, but have no means to keep them, should be a UDAP. Then at the time with one A, not two, like we have today. Right. And he brought that Eli Lilly enforcement action at the Federal Trade Commission, and it was a crazy, wild, you know, wow, is the Federal, and it sort of, you know, planted the flag of the Federal Trade Commission as the privacy regulator uh, in the ground, because after all, if you tell consumers that they can rely on you to only use and disclose your most sensitive information for specific purposes, and you can't make sure that's true. That's a UDAP, right? Absolutely. It's a classic UDAP. Classic UDAP. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so now Mr. Paul is at the CFPB. Correct. And we're in this weird time where, you know, most of the things that the Federal Trade Commission has done in terms of regulatory things and has to be re-reviewed every decade. So when they began to re-review the safeguards rule under Gramm-Leach-Bliley, the original safeguards rule was very general and extremely scalable, which I love as a practitioner. It means you have to size something to fit. But one size, as you well know, doesn't always fit all. Right. And that's a problem. So they've tried to make it more granular, but they've continued to extend the comment period. And it isn't clear where the authority of the FTC to update the safeguards rule ends, begins and ends, and where the CFPBs might pick up. Um, because that's kind of a weird area, uh, I think, to sort of parse through. So meanwhile, all these laws are based on fair information principles. If I'm giving up my data, I should have some reasonable expectations about what you're going to do with it. So I think it is interesting to speculate about whether those two regulators, the super power consumer regulators, mm -hmm. might have a way to harmonize their two efforts as the CFPB does this AMPR about appropriate uses of consumer data and what should be disclosed to people. And as the FTC tries to finalize its now slightly overdue updates to the safeguards rule. It is going to be fascinating. I'm wondering, you know, what, 
what outcomes do you think the CFPB is looking for? Is this going to be another new set of disclosures? Is there going to be, I, I'm not quite sure regulations, what statutes do they necessarily, would they stem from? Right. Um, would it just be, as you say, UDAP with the second A as part of the CFPB's overall supervision and enforcement. It's going to be fascinating. I'm very interested to see what that AMPR looks like. You and I have had way too much experience with AMPRs and know that they can be lengthy. Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, it is going to be very interesting what can be done, because I think if the regulators had a magic wand, they would have to say, whatever we do is going to have to be technology neutral. It has to be. Right. And we know that we all agree, theoretically, that the job of somebody who collects or keeps or uses or especially discloses consumer data has to be to safeguard three things. It's confidentiality, it's integrity, and it's availability. So those are easy things to articulate, tough things to apply. That's right. That's so right. I would imagine that they're going to be trying to strike a balance. I would imagine that they're going to have to be more granular about what it means. And if the Federal Trade Commission's agenda from its um, uh, continued hearings that took place earlier this month on the safeguards rule and the revisions are to be taken to heart. They're very concerned about some of the technical features of our data security programs. So I would expect them perhaps to be more prescriptive about how our technical safeguards should look than telling consumers things, if that makes any sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense because you and I deal with consumer financial laws every day and they're all prescriptive. Right. Um, It says what you can't do. It never tells you how to do something. And um, that could be difficult because this is a lot more complicated than don't call somebody three times a day. Right. Um, This is, it it is, it's going to depend on the provider. It's going to depend on the industry. Um, And as you, Leslie, you and I know, going full circle to where this conversation started, um, online banking has changed since it was launched. It's right. quite different now. <laughs> right. It is quite different. So these technologies are evolving and putting a regulatory scheme around them is going to be, especially in the, from the perspective of data, right. is going to be very complicated. Right. Yeah. And if, if we look at the other enforcement actions from the other regulators on data security topics, they go to some of these same things. Like, are you encrypting your data? Do you have access controls? Do you have a way to detect malicious people that are getting, you know, um, you know, into your um, information systems? How quickly can you tell? Are you letting consumers know? Those are the kind of things I would expect them to try to flesh out, but I'm not sure I'm not sure as they do that, I guess, it becomes less accessible to the average human to understand what some of these things mean. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Leslie, as always, you teach me so much. (laughs) Thank you for a great conversation. And I hope that once the AMPR comes out and we see 
where this is going, uh, you could come back to Credit Eco to go, and we can we can talk more about uh, where 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 the national standard is going. So I really appreciate your time. But before I let you go, uh, we ask two things of our guests because it wasn't enough for you to come on and 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 give us all this wonderful information. But we have two questions for you, and we we'd love to hear your responses. So first of all, in keeping with our to go theme, I ask all my guests whether they've had a takeout experience that they can share with us while uh, you were sheltering in place. And we have heard the gamut of stories. They've been wonderful. And I was wondering if you have an experience you can share. Well, actually, my daughter and I have a favorite um, uh, Asian restaurant that is about embarrassingly uh, a mile and a half from our house. But uh, we have gotten to be uh, on such a first name basis with them that one of the owners does these origami cranes mm. and, you know, sends a little card explaining that the crane um, in Asian folklore has to do with wellness and healing. And it's just been such a cool experience. In the beginning, we were, we didn't know, should we keep ordering? Should we not keep ordering? Uh, because here in South Florida, things are pretty locked down. And it was just so beautiful that having become a regular customer entitled us to these origami cranes and learning something a little bit more about uh, some of the culture. And it, it made us feel good that we were kind of supporting this little mom and pop uh, around the corner that we, we certainly wouldn't feel safe going to um, while they're, you know, all these crazy things are going on. Uh, wonderful story that, that I, I've heard similar stories and supporting the local small business who I, we know is struggling right now is, is so important. So thank you for that. Uh, we really appreciate it. And finally, Leslie, in consideration for your time, Credit Eco to Go would like to make a small donation on your behalf to a local food bank or charity in your area that is helping either restaurant workers or displaced workers or any folks in your community who really are struggling because of the shutdown. And do you have an organization in mind? Um, there is a group here in South Florida called the Chapman Partnership. Uh, and they provide resources to uh, homeless uh, families, particular women who are trying to get back on their feet, who have children and absolutely no home. So they're called the Chapman Partnership. And we actually, we do um, work with them also to try to uh, help provide employment to people too, if they are looking for it. So it's a small group here in South Florida, and I'll be happy to get you the information uh, about them, but they're called the Chapman Partnership. Thank you. Wonderful choice. And we are happy to support them uh, on your recommendation. So again, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners for joining Credit Eco to Go. For more information about any of our podcasts and future podcasts, please go to my bio page at clarkhill.com or to my LinkedIn page. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout or Spotify. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditego2go at clarkhill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe.
This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only, and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.